And Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that we would glory in you, that we would glory in your words, and that we would take them and practice them in our lives, that they would uh, impact us, that we would glorify you, that we would spread the gospel throughout our week. So we just lift this time up now before you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And let me just wish, uh, offer my own happy Father's Day to everyone that's here, and uh, it is great to be here this morning. We're going to be looking at the end of John chapter 5 this morning. Uh, We're going to look at verses 40 to 47, and it kind of seems fitting that it's Father's Day as we look at this, because as we've gone through John chapter 5, we've seen several times the incredible relationship of Jesus and the Father. Matter of fact, Roy, um, a couple weeks ago, that was the the topic of his sermon. So it's been a a key theme as we've looked at John chapter 5. And so as we look at that, it's incredible to me to think that, okay, we have this perfect relationship. We have this perfect example uh, in our own lives. I know none of us has that perfect relationship with our fathers or our sons or our kids. But we have the perfect example to strive for in our life, and that is a very, very special thing. And so uh, since it is Father's Day, let me just stop and say, Happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, My dad is watching online right now out in California, so I wanted to take (laughs) take advantage of that and and wish him a very happy Father's Day as well. And I'll call later. It's also pretty neat to be able to, I've never preached in front of a uh, spaceship before, so uh, I, I think that's pretty cool, and uh, thanks to Joel who, who built this, and uh, Jennifer did some of the decorations with it, and just so you know, actually the South Houston Chapel is going to be using that as well, so as you, as you look at this, realize it's going to get further use, so God can use it uh, multiple times this summer with VBSs, so that's a, that's a neat thing. Well, let me ask you this, have you ever been or ever watched or, or seen a show or a movie where it had a really, really good lawyer. And they give such a great presentation. They, they drive home their point, And you think, yeah, the verdict, the verdict has to come back exactly the way they said. You've seen it. I mean, I think of like, like okay, this is going back. Perry Mason, you know, Raymond Burr playing Perry Mason. Or Gregory Peck playing Atticus uh, Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. Or maybe more my generation, uh, Tom Cruise playing Lieutenant Daniel Caffey in A Few Good Men. Uh, Some of the examples that come to my mind, uh, you maybe have some others. But all these characters provided solid evidence. They said, okay, they laid it out for the jury pool and given them the absolute evidence they need to make the right decision. And if you think back to last week, uh, and John Tillery gave us... Jesus kind of got into that, and he gave us witnesses last week. And he is building toward this climax, this, okay, what's the verdict? How are you going to read this? And as we get to the end of John chapter 5 today, we're going to to see the conclusion of that. But just looking back, it's just a little bit of a a recap to set the stage for that, if you haven't been here for the whole John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, you might recall that the, the whole chapter started with a man being healed. There was a man who had been lame for 38 years, And Jesus healed him. And if you think back on it, though, here's this man that has been healed. It was on a Sabbath day. And rather than rejoicing in a miracle, rather than just being excited that a fellow Israelite had been had been healed and had been restored, rather than seeing all of that, you guys remember, what did the what did the Jewish leaders see? They saw nothing but Sabbath violation. They missed the whole point on that. And that's all they could see was a Sabbath violation. And so we saw that, and by verse 16 of John chapter 5, we saw that they were persecuting Jesus because of this Sabbath violation. Well, then Jesus goes on, and he tells 
uh, and points out why he wasn't violating the Sabbath. He's doing the work of the Father, and he makes this claim of deity. He makes himself equal with God the Father. And, of course, by verse 18, they hear that, and not only are they trying to persecute Jesus, but by verse 18, they're trying to kill Jesus. The, the, the plot is afoot for them to kill Jesus at this point. And we looked at that. So then we got to verses 19 to thir- through 39. And verses 19 to 29 in that, Jesus starts what I would call a little bit of the lawyer mode. You know, he starts making his case in this uh, situation. And so we saw that he, he defended in verses 19 through 29, he defended his claim to being God. He defended that claim for uh, deity. And then last week, as we mentioned, John uh, brought forward to us witnesses. Remember, Jesus had, had uh, several witnesses that he brought forward. You might remember as we looked in John uh, 5, 32 to 36, we looked at John the Baptist was a witness to Jesus' claims. And then we looked at Jesus' own works in verse 36 were a witness. We saw that God the Father himself was a witness for Jesus in verses 37 and 38. And then we saw that the scriptures were another witness for Jesus and his claims of deity. And if you remember Jewish law, a matter was to be settled on what? Two or three witnesses, right? Well, Jesus presented even more of that. I mean, John went over like five witnesses that Jesus presented in those few short verses in this discourse with the Jewish leaders. The matter should have been settled, right? I mean, if two or three witnesses should establish it, and Jesus has presented four or five witnesses, to me, it's case closed. It's there. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It should have been right there with them. However, I'm thinking back to that movie, A Few Good Men, that I mentioned, just like Jack Nicholson's character had pronounced in that movie. You guys probably know it. Those Jewish leaders couldn't handle the truth. And so we're going to have to look at our passage today because our passage today in verses 40 to 47, we're going to find five different things or five different reasons why the Jewish leaders, and I would say in people today as well, reject Jesus. So we're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 40 to 47. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, please do that. We're going to read those verses or they will be on the screen for you. And let me just say, I know the, the ladies, uh, being Father's Day, let me just do a quick thing because I use the bookmarks. I mean, every year, ladies, when you guys hand us those bookmarks, or I was traveling this week and I had a little uh, luggage tag that reminded me, had a verse scripture on it, and, and I've got bookmarks in different books and stuff, it really is helpful. I mean, uh, you know, those little Father's Day gifts, they may not seem like much, but they are really, really helpful, and they're very, very encouraging to us. So um, I think the ladies have one for us later on. So guys, take advantage. Keep those things around. They are, they're well worth it, well, to, well worth keeping around in your life. So, um, so John 5, back to the scripture. John 5, verses 40 to 47. And I realize uh, John Tillery covered verse 40 last week a little bit, but we're going to dive deeper into it. So you're going to get a full, a full look at verse 40 here. So uh, John chapter 5, verse 40 to 47. I'm reading from the ESV. It reads this. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe 
my words. It's an, it's an incredible ending to this, uh, this great chapter. And I want to start at verse 40. I mean, like I said, we're going to find five different things that, that were reasons given for rejecting Jesus. And if you look at verse 40, the first one is, is very simple. It's refusal. Look at verse 40 again. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I mean, talk about refusing the wrong thing. They're refusing to come to Jesus to have life. I like the way uh, Charles Spurgeon has a quote on this verse. When he preached on this one, he had a quote. I think it's going to be on the screen. Yeah, there it is. He said this, Jesus made it clear that having life is found in fulfilling the command, come to me. Christ is a person, a living person, full of power to save. He has not placed his salvation in sacraments or books or priests, but he has kept it in himself. And if you want it, you must come to him. Well, like those Jewish leaders, we have all the evidence we need to come to Jesus for life. Yet, a key reason people don't come to Jesus and accept him as their Savior, it's not because they can't understand the gospel. It's not because they find it impossible. The fault lies in our own will, doesn't it? That we refuse sometimes to come to Jesus for life. If you go back to verse 39 of chapter 5, you see, and we looked at this last week, or John showed it up to us, that they studied the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures, but they failed to see the one whom the Scriptures pointed to. They used the knowledge, the leaders of the Scripture, but all it did for them was built up their own pride, and they refused the truth of the Son of God standing right in front of them. I would say for us today, let's not make the same mistake. Don't refuse to come to Jesus for life. You can have forgiveness and salvation, and you can enjoy life in Jesus. And yes, I mean enjoy life in Jesus. John 10.10 tells us this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or, Dick read this verse this morning in the breaking of bread. Let me just read it again. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Come to Jesus for life and enjoy life in the Lord. So, that's the first thing. Refusal is the first uh, reason given. Then we go into verse 41. In verse 41, there's not one of the reasons here, but it kind of sets the stage for reason number two. So verse 41 says this, I do not receive glory from people. Now, in condemning Jesus, the Jewish leaders, their failure to believe in him, Jesus points out that honor or glory from men is not the reason he came to this world. Even if men reject him, it does not detract from the glory of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I love the way uh, there's a British theologian, Adam Clark, and uh, he was speaking on this, and he, he has a, a quote, and I love the way he put it, because he said, it's almost as if Jesus were saying this, I do not stand in need of you or your testimony. I act neither through selfish interest nor vanity. Your salvation can add nothing to me, nor can your destruction injure me. Here's the key. I speak only through my love for your souls, that ye may be saved. That's the focus of Jesus. It's not seeking man's glory. And I think we can all learn from that. I think we can all focus on that in our life, that we need to be pleasing God. We need to be seeking the glory of God, not our own. And that can be hard. Sometimes we're, we're facing peer pressures. 
we're facing the trials of life that, that, we, uh, that come at us. But isn't that why we study Scripture? Isn't that why we memorize Scripture? Or as we were, were saying earlier, we, we, sing, we sing songs of hymns and praise. That when those trials of life, when those pressures come at us, we can remember those things. Or the Holy Spirit's going to bring them up in your life. And it's going to help us to keep the right focus. It's going to help us keep a focus on seeking the glory of God and not our own. So, that leads us, though, to reason number two. So let's go to uh, verse number 42 in John chapter 5. And the second reason given in this section why people might reject Jesus is because they don't have the love of God within them. Look at verse 42. It says, But I know you, or but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. And where it says, But I know that you do not have the love of God in you, that could also be translated, But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Matter of fact, some of your translations probably put it that way. Um, you'll see that. Jesus knew them. He knew the Jewish leaders. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what their motives were. He knew what was in their minds. Um, kind of a scary thing because guess what? He knows what's in our hearts. And he knows what's in our minds, and he knows my motives and all of your motives, and he knows all of that. The Jewish leaders, they used that. They claimed they loved God. But their, their love was counterfeit, I would say. They claimed to love God, but they had the Son of God standing right in front of them, and yet they refused to come to him. They rejected him. Matter of fact, their rejection of the Son is ultimate proof of their utter rejection of God the Father because they wouldn't listen to the Son. Well, well, what about you and me? We also need to look at what are the desires of our hearts. The Jewish leaders, they lacked the love of God in them because it wasn't because they lacked knowledge of God. Remember, they, they study the Scriptures. The issue there was a heart issue, not a mind issue for them. They had all the knowledge, but it was the lack of God's love in their heart that they couldn't get over. They, they covered themselves with intellectual exercises, and they created, remember we read how they created all those different rules, like the Sabbath rule and everything, and they could hide behind all those things with intellectual things, but the real issue was a lack of love for God in their heart. It's a heart issue. It's a desire to seek God and have God in your hearts. And that's where I think we need to stop and look, well, what are the desires of my heart? Do I have the desire to have the love of God in my heart? Is that what's there? Or am I on the slippery slope of, yeah, the things that are desiring in my heart, are they on that slippery slope of, I want to desire what's in this world? Are we giving up the love of God for the love of the world? I would tell you, we need to master that. That is something we all need to master. We need to master those desires that are in our heart and focus on replacing those desires with the love of God and put that into our hearts. Matter of fact, it reminds me of Genesis 4, 6, and 7. If you remember, Cain at that point had brought a sacrifice before the Lord, and it was an unacceptable sacrifice. And what did God say to him? He said in Genesis 4, 6, and 7, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I love the ending of that because you must rule over it. God's telling us we can do it. We can rule over those desires in our heart, and we must do it. The desires of sin, it's contrary to us. So we need to look to have the love of God in our hearts. Let's not fall for that rejection reason.
So let's move on. Let's go to verse 43 in our passage. And the third reason from this passage that people reject God is deception. Let me read verse 43 again. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. (laughs) Ironically, they wouldn't listen to the Son of God standing right in front of them, talking to them, but they were easily deceived by other people. Jesus pointed out they were to, if someone else were to come in their own name, sure, they were willing to accept them. Wow, that's a pretty sobering point for us to stop and think about. We study the scriptures, we go to church, we read the Bible, we learn about what the Bible teaches, yet how often do we neglect that? How often do we listen to man rather than God? How often do we look at Facebook or TikTok or YouTube or something, and we just automatically... I like that. We give it a thumbs up really quickly. But we like that stuff. But how often, though, do we go back and test those things against what Scripture teaches us? Are we being deceived or are we testing it? Remember the Bereans in the New Testament? What were they commended for? They were commended because they tested everything. Everything that was told them, they tested it against Scripture. And we need to do the same thing. And like John says, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's not good things on all of those things. There's some, there's some fantastic uh, YouTube videos and, and Facebook quotes and posts and things. And there's things that we should listen to, but test them against Scripture. Matter of fact, if you want a good one just to listen to this last week, I was really uh, I was impressed. The, the Oklahoma women's softball team, I don't know if we've got any softball players in here, but the Oklahoma women's softball team won their third straight national title a week ago. And, boy, if you want to see some... Uh, neat videos. They talked to several of of the ladies after they had won that championship, and there was a big press conference. They had, and four or five of them were up there, and one by one, they gave the gospel. They got up there and talked about how softball was fun, but it wasn't the most important thing. They talked about their faith in God, and that that was way more important, and that was the focus of their life. Uh, Really, really encouraging stuff. Matter of fact, I loved it at the end, the the reporter tried to turn the question and went to the coach and, and, and tried to change the question around. The coach just looked at the reporter and said, I think you just heard the answer. <laughs> wasn't going to let them take it away. So if, you, there's a, if you're looking for a good thing, the women's softball team from Oklahoma, there's some incredible gospel messages given by them. That's, that's some of the good stuff you can find out there. That's worth liking. But Scripture does warn us, though, there are going to be false prophets. There's going to be antichrists who are going to try to deceive the world. And I think we do see that going on today. I don't think it's hard to find examples of that. And I would say it's only going to get worse. As the second coming of Jesus gets closer, it's going to get worse. Jesus himself warned us about that. Listen to Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus prophesied a coming day when the descendants of these very same Jewish leaders were going to fall for an antichrist. And they were going to fall for someone who was going to come in their own name. But like those Jewish leaders in John chapter 5, We need to each be grounded in the Word of God. We need to be grounded in the truth that we have the truth of God's Word in us. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the part where it ties to verse 40 from our passage. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Boy, let's get into Scripture. Let's know the Word of God. Let's not be deceived. So, let's move forward. Verse 44, we're going to find the fourth of five reasons why people may reject Jesus. And that is simply, we seek our own glory. We do that a lot. Verse 44 says this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? (laughs) You think about it, how could those Jewish leaders seek the glory of God? They were only focused on seeking their own glory. They weren't interested in anything else. They were too busy, as it tells us, receiving glory from one another. I think the fatal error that we see with them, and it's probably the same thing that we see today many years, it's just pride, isn't it? There's pride in our hearts. We seek our own glory. Those Jewish leaders longed for prestige and honor that came from one another. And they were willing to sacrifice any honor or glory from God for glory and honor from man. Let's make sure that can't be said of you and me. Let's focus on the right thing. If you remember back a few weeks, uh, John read to us from Matthew 23. And I want you to hear this. Think back, because I'm going to read it again. This is a passage John read a couple weeks ago. And I want you to hear it, because thinking about seeking our own glory. Listen to Matthew 23. It's verses 4 through 12. I'm going to skip a few of the verses. See if you hear when Jesus describes the scribes and the Pharisees. See if you don't hear that seek that How would you put it? Own glory seeking or however you might phrase that properly. Uh, See if you hear it in these verses. This is what Jesus said about the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Here's where it gets interesting. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Can you hear it just coming through? I mean, it just, it it was their focus. But then look down to verse 12. How did Jesus end that? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now you might be asking yourself, okay, well, if I shouldn't be seeking my own glory, (laughs) And what is the glory that I should be seeking? What is this glory of God that I should be seeking in my life? Well, I'm glad you asked that because the answer is simple. It's Jesus. That's the point he was trying to get across to them. Think back to John 1.14 when we started uh, this whole series. John 1.14 said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Christ is God's glory on display. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what we need to be seeking. Going back to verse 40, come to Christ. Come to Jesus that you may have life. That's four of the five. Let's get to the last one. The fifth would be a reason why people reject Jesus is found in verses 45 to 47. And it's a heart that is not receptive to God's word. 
a heart that is not receptive to God's word. Remember back at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned all those lawyers and how they they build their case and they get to that climactic moment where they, they drive the point home. Well, and we thought about, you know, Jack Nicholson making that phrase, you can't handle the truth. Well, Jesus is about to end John chapter 5 with a statement that he's going to make to these Jewish leaders, and he's going to drive home his point and end this discourse, and he's going to say something, I think, that would just blow their minds. I mean, I just listen to verses 45 to 47. It says this, Jesus said to them, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, I don't know about you, but when he makes this statement, I'm thinking the Jewish leaders are just, I mean, their minds are blowing. I'm thinking, in my mind, this is the picture I have. Remember that kid from the Home Alone movies? Where he goes running and screaming, and he's like, ah! I imagine that's what's going on in the uh, Jewish leaders' minds at this point. I, I think that's, that's the picture they get. Because they prided themselves on their knowledge of the Scriptures. Matter of fact, they prided themselves specifically on their knowledge of the writings of Moses, which, you know, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We're going to see in a, in a few weeks in John chapter 9, they're going to exclaim, we are disciples of Moses. So think about how devastating a statement it would be when Jesus tells them in verse 45 that Moses would be their accuser. I mean, I'm sure the Jewish leaders felt that, boy, we're upholding the law perfectly. Matter of fact, when I get to heaven someday, Moses is going to congratulate me on how well I've done. I, I'm, you, know, you read through this, and that's the picture you get. So think of their utter, utter disbelief when Jesus says, not only is Moses not going to congratulate you, he's going to be your accuser. I, just, poof, there goes their minds. I'm sure it just blew them away when Jesus makes this statement. And he says, there's no need for me to accuse you because Moses' own writings are going to accuse you. Wow. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but you think, when I first read this, it's like, okay, what are the writings of Moses that are going to accuse them? I had to, had to go back and study this a little bit. And so I found a few things, so I'm going to go over a couple of these for you just to give you what your appetite, and if you want to study more of it later on, you can. But let me give you a couple of examples of where the writings of Moses would be accusing to these, these leaders and things that we need to make sure aren't, we're accused of. The first one is from Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. Probably the most commonly, if you, if you study this, it's probably the most commonly listed uh, scripture you're going to find on this. And it says this in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. See, in those verses, Moses prophetically talks about a future prophet that is going to come, who's going to be like himself from among the Israelites. And did you catch what it said? That they need to listen to. They needed to listen to him. And in verse 18, 
we see that that prophet would command the, the attention of the people. God would put his words into his mouth, and the people needed to listen to it. He'd be a mediator between God and the people. He would represent God to the people, which is exactly what a prophet does. And if you go into the New Testament, go to Acts chapter 3 or chapter 7, and you'll find that the, um, Acts three nineteen to 25, you can study that later, but the, the writers in the New Testament clearly identify that the prophet that was being talked about by Moses is Jesus. So that's one way it could be an, acu- an accusation. Well, here's one more. Numbers 21, 7 through 9. And this one's a little bit harder maybe to follow a little bit, but I'll try to do my best to help you on this. But uh, you can study it later as well. If you remember when the Israelites in the wilderness, there was a breakout of snakes in their camp at one point. And people were dying because they were being bitten by these poisonous snakes. And Numbers 21, 7 through 9 says this. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at that bronze serpent, he lived. And at first reading, you're like, wait a minute, what does that have to do with accusing these people? But think back a couple weeks to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we saw that Jesus used that same bronze serpent as an example to illustrate his own death. Remember when he said he was going to be lifted up, another name for crucifixion. He used that same example. And just like Moses had lifted up that bronze serpent for everyone to see, and everyone who looked at that pole found healing in that, well, that was the only healing in that camp. Well, for us as sinners, the only healing we have is Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus was lifted up, we looked to him for salvation. I like the way uh, Isaiah puts it later on. He says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Like I said, there's... That one's kind of a little hard to follow. You probably want to go back and look at that later. But you could also look in Leviticus 1 through 7, all of the different sacrifices that are written about by Moses, the sacrifices that were required, they all point to the Messiah. You can go and look at the building of the tabernacle and how that was done. It all points to the Messiah. The Jewish leaders didn't get the point. They didn't get the point that Moses would accuse them because they didn't get the point about the Messiah. They completely had missed it. They ignored the clear evidence that Jesus had given them from the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. Everything, all those things pointed to the Messiah, and Jesus perfectly fulfilled all those requirements. It all points to him. And yet, as much as they studied it, they completely missed it. They rejected it. (laughs) And they would also use their uh, kind of uh, warped understanding the Mosaic law to justify killing Jesus. They didn't get what the law was for. Galatians 3.24 tells us the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. They completely missed it. Let's hope we don't completely miss it. As we conclude this look, I mean, we looked at five different reasons why people might reject Jesus. I think ultimately you could boil the whole thing down to it's ourselves. It's us. It's self. And the overarching point that we tend to want to elevate ourselves and not humble ourselves. And as it said again in verse 40, come to Jesus for life. So as we conclude, I'm going to tell you again, you are not being dismissed. You are being sent. 
You're being sent to come to Jesus for life. You're being sent to live with the love of God in your heart. You're being sent to know the truth and avoid spiritual deception in your life. You're being sent to live in a way that seeks God's approval. And you're being sent to be receptive to the truth of God's word in your life. And as we heard in the first service, that we may abide in Christ all the days of our life. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. It just uh, Every time we come together and we hear your word brought, whether it be in the, in the Lord's Supper or, or from here in the pulpit or Sunday schools, God, it just amazes us how much you have given us, what a rich treasure it is to have your word and to study it. And Lord, because we can sing out our songs, our praises to our Savior, to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He shed his blood that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, may we each come to you for life and find that joyous life that we can live in you every day. So we thank you for your words, Lord. Help us to take these reasons that people may reject Jesus. Lord, help, them, help us not to, uh, to avoid them in our life. And Lord, may we be able to explain them and use them to help others know if they're uh, running into some of these things that we might be able to explain the gospel and show them the truth of the word of God. So we just thank you. We praise you. We left the rest of our day up now before you. And we just thank you for all the fathers who are here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.